I'm Dante Centauri, and I love to talk about insects. I'm Mia Centauri, and I also love to talk about insects. So we'll be talking about insects together on Insect View. Hi everybody, welcome back to Insect View, another news episode coming up for you. This is our very first take. Yeah, we definitely didn't um, have an audio this, issue that I realized. For this news episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, nobody's audio turned out really terrible and definitely wasn't peaking every five seconds and we didn't have to re-record it. But there's a slight silver lining to that hypothetical scenario. If it was real, it would have given me enough which time. Not. Which it isn't, which it isn't. But it would have given me enough time to pull up an interesting little story that I, I bumped into a while ago because last week um, I was out in near D.C. for the Entomological Society of America annual meeting. And on one of the days me and the lab I was there with, we all zipped down to the National Museum, uh, sorry, the National Mall to look at the museums. And we were in the Air and Space Museum and I'm going through the Wright Brothers exhibit about the first of flight and whatever. And then I got my eye caught by a book in a glass case called Gleanings of Bee Culture. It, it turned out the, the book was just, you know, it was about honeybees, honeybee keeping. Inside of this journal is published the first eyewitness personal account of the Wright Brothers' flight. Really? Yeah, yeah. In 1903, that's when, like, their first flight was. And the story got leaked to a Virginia newspaper via a telegraph operator. The Dayton newspaper actually said they actually didn't run the story that the Wright Brothers had because they said the flight was too short. But a Virginia newspaper got a hold of the story. They made up some really fanciful version that said they flew three miles. And when they when they landed out, uh, he jumped out and said, Eureka. Um, <laughs> I mean, he should have done that. That's, yeah, really. Kind of a missed If you come up with like a world-changing invention like, and you don't even give yourself one Eureka. Yeah, what are you what doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, why did you even invent it? That's the only reason why I'm, I'm even in like a science field is I'm just chasing that off chance I might be able to say Eureka. Yeah, whenever I, I plug in a bunch of R code and it, it coughs out like a an ANOVA, At, I say how, Eureka. What, how low of a p-value before you get to say Eureka? <laughs> Anything below <laughs> 0.05 and I start saying yeah. Eureka. That's all it takes for me. So this story, this, ironically, this story actually ran in the Dayton newspaper that originally didn't publish their flight because I guess they liked the fake version better. But and so then they 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 went back around in nine, uh, 1904. I don't really know much about the Wright Brothers history, but this is what I, I skimmed through online. No, big fan. Because uh, I need a bit you of You come on to our, our Wright Brothers history podcast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Completely unprepared. And so they came back to do more flights in 1904. And when they completed their first circular powered flight, uh, they invited a friend of theirs. At least I'm assuming it's a friend of theirs. Uh, Amos Ives Root uh, is who they invented and invited. And they asked him to write an account of the flight. Uh, probably because they didn't want the story to get wildly exaggerated, so they wanted like a, some sort of confidence. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They also, they also, interestingly enough, they actually weren't like a media sensation at this time. Their like big fame didn't come until years later because at this point, yeah. people really didn't know much about them, and most people didn't care. They're just some uh, freaks just going out into the, the plains. Kind of, basically, like, but. And so because of this, there wasn't a ton of crazy news attention on them. And when Mr. Root tried to get his account in Scientific American, they didn't take it up. So he just put it in his own journal because he had a self-published Ohio journal that was called Gleanings and Bee Culture. And so the only published eyewitness account of the first ever circular powered flight in history is buried in a self-published journal out of Ohio. Uh, And it's hidden between adverts for honey and beehives. So that made Root the first ever aviation journalist by complete circumstance. There you go. <laughs> That's a fun little uh, story about flying. And you know what planes do? 
is that they could potentially take you on a vacation. We can perfectly <laughs> we can perfectly touch down at our new topic. Yeah, exactly. Which is the uh, current bedbug explosion um, that is going on in France, especially in Paris. People are you know posting pictures and videos on like TikTok and Twitter and stuff of you know bedbugs crawling around in the subways, mattresses in the streets, hotels infested, all that stuff. So yes, yeah, so there's mm-hmm. been sort of like a national panic. Uh, in France over the amount of bedbugs. So worldwide, this has been a trend uh, with bedbug populations have been going up lately. But it's being uh, sort of especially noticed in these really high-density population areas like Paris, it's a city. Um, Not only that, but Paris is a really big tourist destination. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you have people coming from all over. People are bringing, like, their own bedbugs with them. You know, it's creating more genetic diversity within the bedbug population there. So there's a whole... A whole number of factors that are probably making it a worse problem in places like Paris or other like big touristy cities. But so a lot of uh, government officials in France, though, um, they think or they claim that this uh, sort of focus on the French bedbugs is a result of Russian uh, agents influencing uh, narratives and trying to embarrass the country of France. Uh, so yeah, basically the idea that they have is that um, there was some articles that were spreading this uh, it is misinformation um, that there is some chemicals that are produced in Russia that could kill bedbugs that are being sanctioned. And so uh, France can't get them because they're, and so it's like, oh, if they hadn't been sanctioning Russia, we'd be able to have these chemicals, we wouldn't have this bedbug problem. So it's not true, uh, but it is something that was spread, I guess, uh, in the French news cycle um, a mm-hmm. decent bit. I think um, what it was traced back to is like some Facebook post or, or something like that. Uh, from what I could tell, that's it's there's nothing that can really like prove or disprove it necessarily. A little part of me wishes that this was like real because it's so like mustache mustache twirlingly evil to be like yeah. And then I will release bedbugs yeah, into the Paris think, metro area. Yeah, it's well, it's not necessarily that they're that they've caused the problem, but that. The idea is that these the Russian agents are like trying to embarrass France and make France look bad, uh, you know, in time for the 2024 Olympics in Paris. Yeah, I, I guess um, I'd argue this is one of the, you don't have to do much work in a situation like this. You know, if your I city think, has a bed yeah, bug infestation, think, like you can kind of sit back and let it happen. Yeah, I feel like also I feel like um, there's every time there's Olympic Games, there's also some kind of like disaster. Kerfuffle. Or, yeah, like in Brazil, or, like a body floated up, you know. Oh, yeah, because like, they like displaced, I think, like a bunch of like communities to... So, yeah, so mm-hmm. that's kind of the idea of it. Um, I don't know whether or not I 100% believe that's the cause, but I guess it's an interesting <laughs> idea about some mm-hmm. of the, the hype around this. But um, to be fair to the French, uh, it seems like, you know, there is an issue with bed bugs, maybe especially so in Paris right now. But this is, like I said, a worldwide thing. There's a lot of other cities that are dealing with increased numbers of bed bugs. Um, and a lot of French, you know, entomologists, pest experts have said, you know, a lot of the the stuff that they're seeing, it's not bed bugs. It's like some other sort of pest insects. It might be like roaches. It might be something else. Um, but a lot of them are not bed bugs. I found this quote from a, someone, a French person who, who runs this pest control website. And he said that like three-fourths of the calls that he would get from homeowners, um, like worried about bed bugs, like it wasn't actually bed bugs. It would mm-hmm. be issues that like wasn't related to bed bugs. Well, yeah, like that, um, that, that makes sense. You know, it's yeah, a lot and, of people and, like – we all look at little brown insects all the time, so we can at least tell them apart. But most people, when they see a small, little, tiny brownish creature, it could be anything. It could be a beetle, yeah. bedbug, fly. Like people just don't have yeah, any and, frame and of reference to even venture a guess. Yeah, you, know, you see so. that a lot on like if you ever look at like 
that uh, that what is this bug uh, subreddit mm-hmm. or any other sort of thing where you know people are just trying to identify bugs you don't know much about bugs and it's like um, yeah I mean if you just aren't trained to look at that then any two little brown insects look identical to you so mm-hmm. um, I think there definitely is like a, a, a hysteria kind of that could factor into this because also bed bugs are just like scary yeah I mean, no one wants to have bed bugs like the apocalypse. They're, in the ass. they're uh, uncomfortable they're itchy um, you have to spend a bunch of money. They're hard to get rid of. You know, so I think that's definitely like definitely could be part of it. That's kind of making this issue like seem bigger than it might actually be in reality. Uh, but either way, hopefully that's under control soon. Um, <laughs> because I think mm-hmm. the last thing we want is uh, more bed bugs in the world. Yeah, I, I've you know, I was planning a big vacation to Paris so I could sit on every yeah. fabric public bench uh, exactly. in the city. I was just gonna do a tour of all the lowest rated hotels. But I guess. Flying back across the world, um, we we touched down in Michigan after making a quick detour to the 8th International Plant Gall Symposium, where research was presented that indicates insect-induced galls may be excellent pollution detectors. At at this uh, uh, conference, uh, Dr. Glenn Ray Hood was presenting this, and he's an evolutionary ecologist at Wayne State, uh, and he demonstrated that galls are accumulating toxic soil contaminants. Uh, when he was a postdoc, he found a 30-year-old paper showing that blueberry plants sent higher concentration of heavy metals uh, to galls, which does make sense considering that these galls are being fed on by the insects. They're likely to stimulate the plant to send more nutrition or more like nutritious fluids or whatever to that uh, gall so they can they can feed off of it better. And Dr. Hood had the idea that maybe you can use these galls as pollution indicators or you can use them to detect um, heavy metals in the environment where maybe a test wasn't done or a test couldn't detect it. And so he went to these two areas with which had very publicized chemical spills in Michigan. Uh, it didn't, and I, I had to look these up, and I was not disappointed uh, with hearing about them because the first one was in Madison Heights, Michigan, and in 2019 it began leaking a green ooze onto the highway. Um, yeah, that's always fun, right? Yeah, I, I wonder. You what know, that, you have something really bad. I mean, yeah, I, I wish I could hear the call that came into like the Department yeah. of Transportation or whatever. Like, Sir, there's a green ooze. Yeah, the what? green ooze. There's a green ooze. <laughs> what color is the ooze? It's green. It's, it's green. green. Oh, is it? <laughs> it's oozing. <laughs> yeah. What'd you do? I, I rolled around in it. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But, and it was, the, the ooze was identified as hexavalent chromium, uh, which is as So dang- that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, it's as dangerous and carcinogenic as it sounds. Um, yeah. So, but I don't even think you really need to ID it. Like, if you see green goo, is, green, yeah, if you I see green goo on the highway, common sense should good. implore you to avoid it. Yeah. But, and apparently it was improperly stored in the basement of the building of the highway and it leaked into the soil um, because of a pressure built up and it found an exit <laughs> on the highway. And so it burst oh out. I'm sorry. I just uh, looked up a picture. Oh, did you find a picture of it? Of it? That's it. Really, is just a green. Ooze yeah, it's a bunch of green pouring ooze out onto the highway. The highway. It's oh it's as straightforward and bad <laughs> as it sounds. Yeah, but the uh, that's the, very green. It's very, it's, very it's green. surprisingly green. But mm-hmm. the it's not even like allergy green. This is like some sort of that's Nickelodeon like, that's slime like, green. This it is, looks like green Jello. That's it. Really does. It's it's not great, but. The, the owner of the building, uh, Gary Sayers, obviously pleaded guilty to improper storage of chemical waste without a permit. Yeah. Uh, the site, this lawyer was like looking at this and was like, no, this, dude. <laughs> this is going to be a tough one for us, Mr. Sayers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get through this one. But uh, the site was actually cleaned by the EPA a year prior when the investigators saw that Mr. Sayer had been for years just had a pit in the basement where he poured all of his liquid waste. And when it filled up, he'd pump it into a tank, filter it, and run it into the city sewer. 
So that was obviously not ideal and probably didn't help his um, improper storage of chemical waste charge. But and after the EPA removed all the chemicals, what must have happened is that over time, uh, rainwater had leaked back into the the groundwater and just like the basement of the building, refilled the tank and leached out all these chemicals that had been existing in the soil and mixed with some of the minerals or whatever, turned it green, and then so it this sounds the good so far, basically. Yeah, this is this all checks yeah. out. You know, this is all pretty pretty standard stuff. You know, like when they do when they make you do lab procedures and you read the like the the SDS, you know, it usually says have a pit in the back and pour it all in there. Yeah, you know, that's it, yeah. They're like they say like you can throw away your fume hood and you can throw mm-hmm. away you know all of like your waste you don't disposal. Need gloves. Yeah, like you, we're putting it in the pit. We're putting it in the pit. It goes it, in the pit, guys. Green, green is really good. Easy. Green is good. Yeah. It means it's good for the environment. It's like a leaf. Yeah. Oh, if it I'm, turns I mean, green, you're doing a great job. Yeah. We all remember, you know, you know, we're doing our, uh, in our undergrad labs and stuff. And it'd just be the pit. You know, mm-hmm. that's probably the lab safety. Sometimes yeah. somebody would fall in, their skin would turn white like yeah, a joker, you know, but. Yeah, the, the day one, like, lab safety handbooks you'd always get. And it's like, you know, no food or drink in the lab. You know, don't wear contacts. Don't run closed-toed shoes. Watch out for the pit. Yeah. I, I remember I remember there's a great – in one of my, my, or, my first organic chemistry lab at Cleveland State, they, they had a pig and they threw it in the pit. Uh, yeah. And, and they, they pulled it up and there was just bones, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, and, this, and the, the sounds it made, you can never forget it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They did – yeah, actually at OC they do the same thing. Um, yeah, they, they say that uh, it it skeletonizes all organic material off bone because yeah. it's just that clean. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> But, well, I mean, yeah, and, and, and there, were, there were thousands of gallons of this stuff in the basement when they came and checked it. So that had re- re-cleaned again. But he'd been, resi- he'd been resisting efforts to demolish the building for a while. Uh, he lost, surprise. Um, he still owns the property, though, and he's planning on developing a marijuana dispensary at the site after demolition. So that's Madison. And now the second publicized site was Ann Arbor. Uh, this is a bit more of a, a straightforward case. You know, 1996 to, 80 to 1986, Gelman Sciences dumped their industrial solvent improperly. Um, the more I think about this, the more I'm curious as to what the proper man, man, uh, proper way to dump industrial <laughs> uh, solvent is. The pit, obviously. We just yeah, they really obviously they didn't have a pit. You know, they tried to like clean yeah. it first, which is their mistake. Well, that was their first thing. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a pit. What are you going um, to Yeah, like what's the point of not having a pit? Yeah, and so their quote-unquote improper dumping led to a plume of groundwater contamination that's four by one miles long under the city of Ann Arbor. <laughs> that's um, pretty improper. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very improper. Yeah, <laughs> it's catastrophic. I think I don't think you really want um, your chemical waste to be described as a plume. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually not it's, good. It's probably for the best that this isn't general knowledge because I imagine if. The, if Ohio State students figured out about this, we'd see some very creative posters come the rivalry game. Because I think that's that, a little that low, is isn't the, it? <laughs> it's under the University of Michigan, you know? But I think that's, oh, ha ha. <laughs> you have, like, <laughs> infected drinking water. Yeah, you're, you have I contaminated groundwater. Ha ha he Loser. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. I think, I think. Yeah. I think you have to, there's a point at which you but have to lay off. You know that you know? that would be there. Like if people knew about this, this would Someone be a probably. sign at like the big noon kickoff. You know, you'd see it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it would be in poor taste. But someone would probably do it anyway. But at the Madison Heights site, which is uh, Green Goo, uh, Hood and Company took the galls from various plants in these transects running half a kilometer in four directions. And they found that about 85% of the time, the galls had a higher concentration of contaminant than other plant tissues. Uh, so this... Uh, 
again, kind of backed up the paper that he found that these galls are uh, holding higher concentrations of heavy metals and the plants are sending it there, which is it's interesting. It also is pretty good to know that there's almost this biological indicator. Um, there is also the bad of this plant is full of heavy metals and all these insects are too. But, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to find a silver lining. The work in Ann Arbor focused more on wild grape galls done by these little aphids. Um, and the analysis showed that these galls were more sensitive than the plant tissues, uh, again, like we've seen in Madison. And they actually have some unpublished findings that show that the galls identified the dioxane plume, which is what they dumped. They dumped dioxane. So, you know, that, yeah. that just sounds like a chemical you want to drink, you know. But And it actually extended the range of the dioxane plume beyond the current known extent. So they were actually they were able to use these galls as an indicator to push the estimates of the plume even farther, which, like, is cool, but not great because it's bigger than it should be but yeah. but that that's that's pretty interesting you know it's just the last thing you'd ever think of was like oh these plants are, are literally growing pollution indicators yeah it's really interesting um to see that kind of thing i think where it's like these natural indicators of like soil and like water quality uh i don't know i just find that kind of thing to be mm-hmm. really fascinating how you can just kind of look at these cues from like uh the natural world to just sort of like you know, be able to tell things that are like mm-hmm. relevant. Yeah, um, it is to really, human safety, and yeah, it's yeah. really, it's really, really fascinating. It, it is, it is fascinating, but it's all, it's one of those things you hear. Where it's like neat, but also like, oh, because like, yeah, we well, can, de- little, we can I mean, determine not great how good to, the environment's doing by how much heavy metal is in this thing. Yeah, it's, it's like it's not be great really to hear better. about that <laughs> in terms of like, well, I wish there was no toxins mm. <laughs> in the ground, but um, yeah, it's definitely a really interesting field. Yeah, well, that about does it for this. Uh, this insect news episode, we've taken you on a little yeah. tour of the world from uh, scenic DC to usually more scenic, but now a little bit maybe less scenic because of the bedbugs in France, and then yeah. back to the always scenic Michigan. So don't travel the world. Uh, don't Just expose yourself to new things. That's basically our message. That we don't eat plant to, galls to in Michigan. Through. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Right, oh, what if rats. I already ate a bunch of them? Well, I don't know. You'll probably be fine. If, if you start spitting up anything green, you're good. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Insect View. I hope you uh, enjoyed your little news moment here. Um, so in the future, so you kind of know what's up, we're planning on doing a little series on domesticated insects. Uh, so our next episode will be about the silkworm, the silkworm moth. Um, and we're going to do some more, you know, really, really cool, interesting bugs that have a lot of close relationship with humans. We're going to talk about you know, honeybees. We're going to talk about like uh, fruit flies. It's going to be really awesome. Um, and yes, yeah, so I hope you look forward to uh, our next episode. Okay, we'll see you next time.